Blog Talk Radio. Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. We have our normal uh, hosts in place around the country. Roy Cummings obviously is in uh, Tampa, Florida, and we'll talk about lightning. We'll talk about the Bucks. We'll talk about a number of things. 
We also have Roger Henler in his final week or so in Atlanta, Georgia, before he moves back to just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, of course, our uh, commander-in-chief, Frank Carroll, is behind, the, behind all the dials. And, Frank, before we start the show tonight, uh, what do we have on his dedication? Uh, we want to dedicate tonight's program to a, a, a really nice young man. Uh, his name is Bob Rob Lyons. Uh, Rob is the owner of G, GWP Finance uh, in Sarasota. Uh, as a young man, he was a, uh, a terrific go, uh, go, hockey player, uh, is an avid golfer at uh, many golf courses here in, in town. And uh, we want to wish him a, a very happy happy birthday. Uh, and hope he's enjoying his uh, his summer up in uh, Michigan with uh, at his summer place. And uh, Rob, thanks for all you do for us. All right, let's jump into the world of sports. Uh, first of all, we'll top it off with baseball. Uh, the Grom going down. We'll chat about Roy about that. Uh, the Mets just lost their power hitter in the first inning playing the Atlanta Braves down in Atlanta tonight. Got hit on the left wrist, had to be taken out of the game, and plan's been put in to replace them. The Mets are up one nothing in the top of the first. So a lot of baseball news as well as other things. So, Roy, let's go to you first. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe the one move the Mets did not make in signing LeGron maybe, maybe turn out to be the best move they didn't make. Yeah, it's uh, boy, how unfortunate uh, for Jacob Degrom uh, to be—he's done for the season and probably all of next year as well. Tommy John surgery for him—it's boy—it's a real kick in the head for the for the Texas Rangers too. Obviously, um, you're right that you know the, the Mets turn out uh, t- turns out to be the, a good move for them not to have signed him, but uh, you know it's just really unfortunate. I mean, you hate to see players go down—you know, players of that caliber, especially. Uh, you hate to see the stars of the game uh, disappear, and uh, Jacob Degrom is going to be gone for a while. So, uh, really, really unfortunate. It's amazing how you know. No matter, I just teams try to buy championships, and boy, oh boy, it just you know nobody can foresee this coming. But it just more often than not, it just doesn't seem to work. And uh, you know, Texas has been trying to trying to buy their way back into contention for a couple of years now, and it, it looked like they finally did it. And uh, and now the, the, their pitching uh, depth is really going to be tested. We'll see. Um, you know, the good news is that Nate Evaldi's having a career year for him, so that's that's good. But, uh, you know, can anybody else step up for them and, and pitch uh, at the level that they're, you know, that they're, uh, uh, they need them to? It's, it's, it's going to be hard to do because DeGrom was being DeGrom. You know, he didn't have a lot of wins, but – 2.67 ERA, uh, you know, strikeouts all over the place. So it's uh, they're going to have to probably make a deal now, I would think. And um, you know, do they have some depth that they can uh, they can move? We'll have to take. We'll, we'll find out. But uh, I think if they want to contend, they they may need to uh, they may need to pick up another pitcher. Well, two major stories here in the Northeast, of course. Many people around the country uh, who aren't familiar with watching a Yankee game, for instance, tonight, you won't see it. You won't see the Phils tonight either because they have a tremendous, tremendous uh, fire in Canada, and all of the Northeast Territory is just bogged down with smoke, and they have canceled almost everything outside for at least the next couple of days. And, uh, Roger, uh, you're in Atlanta. You're not getting much of that smoke, but you are seeing a first inning with the New York Mets and Atlanta Braves where the Mets first baseman and uh, leading power hitter on the club just got whacked on the left wrist. 
Roger there? Yeah, hey, I'm here. here. I'm here. Hello? No, you know, I, yeah, I'm here. Okay. The, uh, I, what I wanted to say was, well, what I was saying is, uh, I saw, watching this game, I saw that uh, one of the coaches talked to Buck Showalter, so I don't know whether they found out they took x-rays or not of, uh, yet. But uh, And, you know, and I really like Charlie Morton as a pitcher. He's not the kind of guy that's going to uh, uh, throw at you or anything like that, and, and uh, he's a workhorse. And uh, I was looking at the stats today. Um, they showed it on MLB Network about the Grom and about how good he was early in his career, and he's had problems the last several years. And the consensus is, and I guess we agree, you don't give a guy uh, that's, what, 32, 33, a a five-year deal, especially with his uh, health situation in in recent years. And at the same time, uh, by the time you're through with Tommy John surgery at this stage of the game, uh, you're talking about a year and a half at best, Roger. So right. uh, you add that yeah. on to the fact that he's 32 years of age, and that really becomes a problem. So we wish him the best of luck. Uh, he had two Cy Young Awards when he was with New York, uh, an outstanding talent, as Roy said. And it's very, very unfortunate when something like that happens. And now we got to do is hope that the first baseman for the Mets doesn't go down as well tonight uh, with an injury being hit in the first inning. But uh, let's switch over for a second. We'll jump around tonight. There's so many things going on in the world of sports. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Roy uh, starting to make a little bit of a move. Looks like uh, they made a three-team trade. Uh, got some players at defensemen they wanted. Got goaltending. Uh, uh, maybe your observations on the trade between uh, uh, the three clubs involved with the Flyers. Yeah, obviously uh, the uh, Flyers not wasting any time uh, getting right to it uh, in, t- in terms of trying to rebuild that team and uh, make it a little bit more competitive. Uh, not really surprised to see Ivan Provorov get moved. Um, I think he was a little bit dis- – let's, yeah, let's face it, he was disappointing the last couple of years. Had a had a great uh, season in, what, 2019-20, I guess it was the, you know, the COVID season. Uh, really stepped up and, and played at the level I think that the Flyers have always expected him to, but then just – uh, was kind of a shadow of that player over the last couple of seasons. And uh, so I'm not surprised that he's gone. You pick up Sean Walker. It's a right-hand defenseman. That's, they're, they're hard to find. The, the good ones are hard to find. Walker's a good, solid one. Um, so that's a, that's an upgrade uh, for the right side of their defense core. And, uh, you know, Cal Peterson gives them a little bit, uh, you know, and obviously they're moving some draft picks around. So, uh, you know, that's important too. And um, just the beginning, I think, of uh, what's probably going to be a, a, a modest, sh- not a, maybe a, a, a moderate shakeup here uh, with the Flyers. Obviously, uh, three guys: uh, Briere and uh, uh, Keith Jones, and now uh, John Tortorella. Obviously, working uh, working that team and trying to figure out what they've got and what they need. And uh, I would say that nobody, if Provorov is gone, uh, then I would say nobody is uh, untouchable there. I would say just about anybody is a candidate to be moved at this point. Roger, uh, before we come back to Roy and hockey and the, where the Stanley Cup finals stand right now, uh, there in Atlanta when uh, we talk a little bit about what's happening uh, on the baseball front in Atlanta and the Braves are doing what they always do, they just keep winning. They won again last night. They were down 4-1, to one, came on and won at, what, 6-4. to four. Uh, They keep doing the yeah. right thing at the right time, and they keep winning. Well, they do, and I think they are the, the class of uh, the NL, 
East, but definitely, but maybe of the NFL or the NL uh, too. But, uh, yeah, you know, getting back to what Roy was saying about the Flyers trade, I think Bovarov, wasn't he like uh, the first-round draft pick in 15, as I recall? Uh, you might be right. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, what round he went in, but that, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, I mean, that, you're right, Roy. That's, uh, when, when you're giving up a first-round draft pick uh, that uh, was, was performing pretty well for several years, then uh, with Keith Jones and that uh, team working now, anything can happen. Roy, let's jump back to hockey, too, again, and uh, your observation, because you follow the, the hockey more than all of us do from day one when the, the lady came in to, to Tampa, Florida, and uh, you followed very, very closely your thoughts on this year's finals. Yeah, uh, well, be, uh, uh, Roger's absolutely right. Uh, Ivan Provorov was seventh overall. I, I wasn't sure where, where exactly where it was that he fell in that draft, but seventh overall it was the Connor McDavid-Jack Eichel draft. Uh, they were one, two in that draft. Mitch Marner was fourth, and then uh, Ivan Provorov uh, was seventh <laughs> overall. So yeah, um, obviously, uh, uh, you know they they mean business now in uh, Philadelphia. So we'll see where it goes. And you know they're trying to catch uh, Florida, which um, yeah, not look. Florida has not looked good, obviously, in in these first two games here. And and to, you know the reason I think more than anything. And look, we'll talk about Matthew Kachuk, but. At the end of the day, I mean, it's 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 Sergei Bobrovsky. I mean, he's become ordinary. He gave look, they're doing a good job of screening him, creating traffic in front to make it hard for him to see the puck. Um, but when you score three, four goals, uh, you know, in, in a couple of key games, obviously in the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, from from the uh, the blue line, um, you got to just got to be a little bit sharper. And you know, here's the thing about Sergei Bobrovsky is, you know, he lost his job here in, in Florida. Uh, earlier this year just because of this kind of stuff. He just has these stretches here where he just doesn't seem to be on his game at all. I mean, he's, he's just, like, not focused. It's hard to know, you know, what happens in these moments where he just becomes absolutely ordinary. And uh, you can't have that. Now, he obviously came out of that uh, during these playoffs after Leon, uh, their backup, uh, proved that he is just that a backup. So I, I think that come tomorrow night, uh, I'll be surprised if Bobrovsky's not back in there, but boy, oh boy, at some point he's got to he's got to shake himself out of this uh, funk that he's in if the Panthers are going to have a chance to win this series, and they do have a chance. Going back home, uh, the crowd there is going to be electric. Obviously, the building's going to be uh, loud. It's going to help them a lot. It's going to give them some energy that they need. Um, and but they, at the end of the day, they still have to play a little bit smarter, and no one has to play smarter than. And Matthew Kachuk, I, I think he's feeling a lot of pressure. Um, and and look, I see. Look, the hit on Eichel, Jack Eichel, the other night, absolutely clean, clean as a whistle in terms of a hit. It's as devastating a hit as you're going to see. Uh, it's as clean a hit as you're going to see. Um, it, it's that's how they draw him up. And even Jack Eichel said so. Um, the problem was is that later on. Uh, Matthew Kachuk couldn't control himself and ended up getting a ten-minute misconduct along with everything else. So uh, he can't be in the in the penalty box more than he's on the ice. And so far, he's got more penalty minutes and minutes on ice, and that's not going to help his team. A um, couple other guys have to step up and play a little bit better too, particularly on the defense core. Uh, Montour, Mahora, 
uh, Gavrikov. I mean, these guys, uh, they, they've uh, they've got to play a little bit better. Um, Gustav Forsling, I mean, not Gavrikov. But um, at the end of the day, uh, this is a better team than what we've seen in the first two games. Won't surprise me at all, uh, guys, if they come back and win two straight here in Florida, uh, even though right now it seems like Vegas has got uh, got their numbers. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, the series has been a bit disappointing in that regard, but I think uh, I think we can get back everything we wanted, uh, wanted out of the series uh, right away tomorrow night. Roy and Roger, we speak all year. Uh, of course, we see the lady play so many games uh, being down there in Tampa, Florida. Uh, we always talk about the level of consistency in the National Hockey League, the level of talent, and uh, how much enthusiasm and energy is put into every single game and then into the playoffs even more so. Just the opposite seems to be happening, Roger, in the National Basketball Association. Denver won the first game in a walk. And now they're complaining, well, they really didn't put that much effort into winning game two uh, on the road. So a series is tied 1-1. They're just getting started with game three right now at 830. Uh, your observation on the NBA, we don't talk about it very often. You go to it. Well, there's a reason we don't talk about it, okay? Because until you get to the finals or even just in the playoffs, uh, you never know who's going to show up to play on a team. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I was watching uh, both of those games, and it was really a, uh, it was a, a really uh, a good games. But I thought that Denver would come back. The Mets just got another home run. So right. they're taking a 2 uh, score uh, lead now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I used to be the, one of the biggest NBA fans, and, and I'm just not that interested in it because – uh, you just don't know who's going to uh, show up to play on a team any night. I'll tell you, Roger, I agree. We uh, we we remember when the Syracuse Nationals came in and, and all the yeah. things that happened in the NBA and uh, what Eddie Gottlieb did and when the Warriors uh, and Will Chamberlain and all the great basketball we saw all the way down to when Doc was there. And unfortunately, the, the league just has really dissipated that you cannot expect any team to come out and play. If, first of all, you don't know whether everybody's going to play in the game. Exactly. They, they said they right. were going to make a ruling before the season started, the commissioner, that you had to give the fans notice if the star players weren't going to play. But there were a lot of games they didn't play. Roy, how do yeah. you do that? Well, <laughs> the thing that has made the NBA as popular as it is right now, whatever level that is, I don't follow it that much myself, but What's made the NBA popular is also what's, what allows for, you know, series like this where, you know, teams suddenly don't show up. Um, it's a star-driven league. It's not a team or really even a game-driven league. It's a, it's a star-driven league, and there's, right. a, you know, a, what, a dozen, maybe 18 stars in the league, probably not an 18, but a dozen is probably more the, the number, and that's what it's about. And if you've got one of those guys, you're a player. Uh, and by player, I mean you're a contender. If, you've got, if you don't have one of those guys, you're looking for one of those guys. The problem is, is those guys, those star players, are not always going to be on. It's the human nature that, that they're not on. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's like that in every sport. Um, Tiger Woods didn't play his best golf every, every major. Uh, most often did, but, you know, he wasn't, now, he, he wasn't at his best every tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, the great players weren't always there at their best. And if so, if you have a night 
where the, the star isn't at his best, well, the rest of the guys aren't used to carrying the team, and most of them can't, and most of them aren't built to, to, build, to carry the team. So if the team can't be carried by the star or the substar, whoever that guy is on a particular night, well, then that team ends up getting beat, and usually the guys kind of fall in line and say, hey, well, you know what, the star's not got it tonight, so I just work, we'll just take this one on the chin tonight and, uh, you know, go get him tomorrow night. And you see a lot of that in the NBA. You see a lot of it in the regular season. You still see it a lot in the playoffs, which is what what shocks me more than anything. Is just, you shouldn't see that in the playoffs, but you do. Amen. And yeah. and I think, you know, again, this that's where I see part of the problem. It's um, it's kind of inherent in the system, whereas uh, it's 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 one guy per team. Sometimes some you know some real good teams have a couple of them, but um, if that one guy isn't on tonight. Well, your team's probably going to take it on the chin and uh, not look very good doing it. Roger, two points. One, the Boston Celtics don't leave game seven, especially on their home floor. And they were annihilated by 20. And all they do, uh, once they get behind, start throwing up three-pointers. And if three-pointers don't go in, they they just give up. And uh, that's exactly exactly what happened in game seven. And that series, you know, they just kept throwing up three-pointers and they weren't going in. They wound up losing by 20. You never see a Boston Celtics team with something like that. No, no, no. That was a shock. Uh, But, uh, you know, it was interesting you brought up Eddie the mogul Gottlieb because uh, they uh, just saw a discussion or heard, I guess, on the radio about how they do uh, the baseball schedule, you know, and it's a computer system. and, uh, And I think the NBA, obviously, is the same way. But, Don, and, and Roy, you know, you're probably too young, but Eddie Gottlieb would sit down at, like, a uh, table or in a restaurant, and he would make up the NBA schedule. No computers then. <laughs> he would just do that. Isn't that right, Don? Absolutely. Absolutely. He made up the whole schedule, and the other thing was he had to confirm what buildings were available to play at what time. So he not only made up the schedule – he also made up all the buildings that were available for the NBA to play in. Times have changed, Roy. <laughs> yeah, they have. Well, there's a lot more going on. Obviously, those, those buildings, you know, some teams still share uh, their building with a hockey team, and uh, everybody wants their, you know, they don't want they don't want dark dates. So, uh, you know, they get, well, you it used to be the circus. The circus was the one that killed everybody in the Northeast, Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. spectrum in Philadelphia, because then you had – you know, that was a, a long three- or four-week uh, procedure where you had to juggle the schedule. Uh, but uh, interesting to me uh, what has happened, and to think that they got into the final series and Denver looked like they were so much better in, in Miami in game number one, and it just didn't turn out that way. But uh, let's jump to another topic in the world of golf. And uh, Greg Norman was completely left out of the uh, negotiations <laughs> and the PGA <laughs> And Liv have decided that they're going to merge now, and everybody's happy except the players that really stood by the PGA are very, very unhappy, Roy. Yeah, well, I don't think it's just the players who are unhappy. I think there's a lot of golf fans who are unhappy. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I suppose it's good for the fans because we get some of the stars back in the PGA Tour. Um, I can't find myself – I can't see myself rooting for them. Um, You know, I can't see myself rooting for – Kepka and Dustin Johnson and uh, any of the guys who went over to the tour, I just, you know, I have a hard time believing in believing in 
you know, what it's about and, you know, who's, who's back in it and everything else. And, uh, and I'm just even more shocked that, you know, after taking this stance uh, that the NBA, NBA, WR, the PGA took uh, two years ago and standing up against, you know, refusing to stand with these guys, now they're in bed with them. It's just, it's absolutely shocking. Um, you know, there's a lot of money involved, obviously, but boy, oh boy, it just, it can't always be about money, guys. I mean, I, it just can't. I mean, at some, it just can't always be about money. I mean, we've got to stand on principles at some point, don't we? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I, Roger, we do. We believe in standing on principles because that's the way we lived our lives. But this is not what's happening. It's force. I mean, you know, you turn around every, uh, you know, National Football League went to bed with, you know, after all the years, years, and years, the commissioner saying no betting and and football could be combined, and now it's the biggest sponsor they have. And they're juggling Thursday night football to take care of the sponsors and to get more money. I mean, every sport now, Roy, is money. Yeah, yeah so right. Janet, we just, we, just, we, we just got out of a great Italian restaurant uh, down here in Jupiter, in Tuquesta, and Janet, Janet's driving. And the timing is absolutely impeccable. So it's great. Here we go. Let's go. It sounds like Tony Leodora. No, uh, it uh, sounds like Vince Papali to me. Are. But Roger, hey, but, oh, it's Vince Papali. Frank didn't yeah, tell me he was Janet ready to go. Vince Papali, always yeah. great to have you with us, my boy. Well, it's great to be with you as well. Roger, Listen, let, fellas, me just say, I just let me just say, say thank you very much to Roy Cummings for the first half hour. We appreciate it very much, and we'll do it again next week. And, Vince, uh, first of all, before we talk about the Eagles or before we talk about some of your thoughts on the National Football League and the money that we're talking about, uh, I know that uh, Frank's grandson is going to come on with us in just a little bit, Trevor. Uh, he follows that USFL very, very closely, and he follows your son very closely. And after Here dropping the first two games, they're coming on pretty strong. Well, they're uh, they're undefeated now. They've uh, at the last five games, they were the only undefeated team in the league in the, in the month of May. They've got a big matchup coming up Saturday against uh, New Orleans Breakers. They were undefeated coming into their first game with uh, the Showboats, and that was uh, that was the beginning of our and I say our because we're all part of this of our streak. It's five in a row now. So now they have the rematch. On, uh, on on Saturday in uh, in in, uh, in Memphis, and unfortunately, I can't be there because I, I I've got to go to New Orleans for for a wedding for one of my best friends, and and uh, yeah, just got to do that. So anyway, it's you it's mean fun. to tell me that your best friend is still young enough to get married? <laughs> well, uh, no, not my best friend. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> maybe. Let, let maybe, me just maybe. throw one, one at you. Let's see before I bring Roger in and Frank in and Trevor in. Uh, the makeup of the ball club. I'm talking about young Vinny now. The makeup of the ball club is more toward run and drive. Uh, how has that affected uh, his ability to be a big part of it other than special teams and as a receiver? Well, right now he's leading the team in receptions and also leading the the, the, the league in tackles on special teams, uh, solos. Wow. So um, it, it's not affecting him. You know, it, it, it's uh, the, the OC. Um, you know, he has his ways. He's conservative, but it's working. And um, he, you know, they they uh, they revamped their offensive line, 
And that was really a, a, a brilliant part on the part of their general manager. And, uh, and, they, and they, they focus on the run game and off the run. You know, they got to play action. And, and Vinny gets in there and he gets his six, eight, ten targets a game. And, you know, right now the, the, everybody's contributing. It's not about individual stats. It's about what the team does. And, uh, right. you know, right now the team believes in itself. They believe in their coaches. They believe in each other. Uh, they've won a couple close games right at the very end by hanging together, but now, and the defense is creating turnovers. And uh, when you have that, and, and, and our special teams, our, our kicker has hit 18 in a row. Ooh. So mm. Alex, has, yeah, Alex has hit 18 in a row. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty scary. And that started the streak. The first game, I think he had five field goals and, you know, and one touchdown, and it was Vinny's touchdown. And um, but whatever, you know, the thing is, the team is beginning to gel. Um, you know, the coach, you know, Todd Haley, he's he's got them believing, and uh, you, you know what it's like. I mean, we were around, you know, when Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl, and you you just get that even with a backup quarterback, when everybody comes together and they understand what the role is and they play it with passion, uh, they get it done. You know, and nobody cares about who gets what. It's all about the team, and that's what I see this. That's what I see the showboats doing right now. Vince Papali, our special guest, and Vince, of course, a great name with the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, just a super, super guy. Uh, made the movie, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, just to give it a, a little fresh note. Roger, you're up before we get to Trevor. Yeah, Vince, a couple of things uh, about uh, congratulations to Vinny uh, on tremendous performance. And, uh, you know, uh, Todd Haley obviously, you know, had a shot, uh, what was it, Kansas City in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, but I uh-huh. think he does a great job on serious NFL radio. I really do. When he's on, I think you learn something. And, uh, but I, what I, uh, does Vinny, has he, number one, uh, has he had any uh, feelers from the NFL? And that, the kicker you mentioned, He's got to have had feelers from the NFL. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know much about Alex, but yes, the, the answer to your question with regard to Vincent and Vinny uh, is yes. Uh, there have been feelers. Uh, his agent called yesterday, and I'm, I'm not at liberty to say who's interested, but he's, uh, he's created, he, he's created um, some interest, and I'll just leave it at that. Good. And, uh, you know, this, that, that's, the end, that, that, that's the end goal. You know, he, he wants so badly to be in the NFL, but right now uh, he's not thinking about it. He's thinking about Saturday and the game against it. And that's what I love so much about Vinny. He's so focused that, uh, you know, he's just thinking about the game he's got with New Orleans coming up. And ironically, I'm, you know, I'm going to be out in New Orleans for a wedding. So, But I'm going to be watching the game on Peacock. It'll be, it's, it's going to be on Peacock NBC at 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time on Saturday. So it'll be a fun game to watch. You'll see some great football. And they get West Hills. Uh, and the, no, I, I'll tell you, the, um, the, the uh, New Orleans has West Hills, who was Vinny's teammate at the University of Delaware back in the day. And, uh, Isn't that just, and, and, and West, yeah, and West went to Wildwood High School, and uh, you know it's just a phenom in in uh, South Jersey uh, football. So, and he's the he's the uh, the top running back in the USFL. So, it, it's going to be a great matchup. Well, let's bring Trevor uh, Trevor in right now. Our young correspondent Vinny, uh, who follows the yep. USFL from start to finish. Trevor, I know you've been waiting all night to talk to Vince Papali, uh, who really came into the NFL in a hard way. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Trevor. Uh, we're having uh, 
technical difficulties. I'll get him back as soon as I can. I can. I'm working on it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Vince, I, you know, talking about the South Jersey uh, football, as you mentioned, the uh, I had mentioned to uh, Frank and and, uh, and Don uh, that Tom Williams. I was talking to him, you know, from Bannon Ocean City. And are you uh-huh. familiar? It's going to be the third year of that football extravaganza where they have like uh, 12 high school teams that play uh, in August. And the big game is going to be on ESPN2 is St. Joe's really? Prep versus IMG. Oh, wow. I, I did not know that. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living now down in Jupiter, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and uh, I, I've sort of lost track a little bit of, of all that's been going on with South Jersey sports. And uh, no, I'm not aware of it. But wow, that that's fantastic! You know, what there's a some great up. athletes that come out. Of, yeah, geez, oh man, especially you know with the prep, uh, they they just they're, every year. I mean, you know, they're they're one of the top countries. So, uh, what a great matchup that's going to be. Well, Mr. Pally, I tell you, it's a great honor to have an opportunity to talk to you when you're not eating dinner. So we'll get right <laughs> right to your evaluation of the Philadelphia Eagles as we turn the corner. You looked at the draft. Some of the young players are in getting a. Uh, a little bit of extra uh, work in. What do you think of the Philadelphia Eagles going into year number twenty-three? Well, you know they've got a lot. They got a lot to to to, to, uh, to keep up with, you know, because they got themselves into the Super Bowl last year, and nobody ever, you know, there were a lot of people thinking and prognosticators, but they got there, and, and now you got, you know, there's been a couple changes, and you've got coaches that have left and coordinators that have left, so uh, that that's something that really needs to be considered, but. In terms of the draft and the talent, it looks great. Um, I'm, I'm walking out of my car right now, and I'm looking next door to a guy who, who played baseball at the University of Georgia. So he's all excited because the dogs are rep- represented really well with Philadelphia. And, uh, but you know what it all comes down to? It all comes down to you've got to perform. You've got to get it right. done. And, you, you know, you can come in with all the accolades. You can come in with all the awards and all the All-Americans and the All-Thises and the All-Thats. But you got to get it done. And I'm telling you, I never played college football, but I, I did play a lot, you know, with different I, – the athleticism and the skill and, and, and everything that goes on and what's, what, what's, what's being part of being a professional athlete, uh, you know, they're, they're the things that you've got to get done. So we'll see. You know, the potential's there. But Dick Vermeule had the greatest statement and the greatest quote in the world. He said potential's two things. It's a great waste. And it's a coach killer. So mm-hmm. let's go. You know, it, it's, it's as simple as that. And, uh, it, and it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see how they all tie together. But, you know, when you lose a couple of coordinators and that did such a great job last year and you've got a young staff coming in, so everybody's got to get a feel for each other. And, um, and, and it's going to be a process. Uh, I, was, I actually just had dinner with, um, with one of the team doctors uh, for the Eagles, and, you know, it's, it's all process, you know. It's everybody coming together, and, you know, he says, oh, my God, Vin, you should see some of these kids coming in here. They're studs. But, again, you've got to get it done on the field, and so we'll see. Roger? I'll be rooting for him. You know that. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Sir. Well, it, it's like that in any sport, and that's what we were talking about the NBA, Vince. The, the, you don't know who's going to show up to play in a game. You know, and it gets the yeah. fans all upset, and you know what I mean. Oh yeah, but you know, but the NBA is a whole different ball game because it got a zillion games. You know, you only have sixteen games in the NFL. If you can't get yourself prepared in one week 
to get ready to play in front of uh, 80,000 people, millions of people watching on TV. Um, forget about it. You don't belong there. It, it's you don't very belong simple. there. You, yeah. you just don't belong there. I mean, you know, you got all week, you know, and, and now the way the rules are, you know, you have a lot of contact during the week. It's not like a dick for meal training camp or a dick for meal practice where during the week everybody's still on full pads, slow tempo. You know, you can't have this now because it's patty cake, patty cake. You know, oh, you can't walk, you can't jog, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, um, you know, one of the things that it it, it creates because you can't have that contact is sometimes the fundamentals are just a little bit off in the beginning because you can't have those strenuous camps like, uh, you know, Dick Vermeil used to have, which which are legendary, but. You know, it's all good, I man. That's why the game is. That's why life's gone. You know, so <laughs> you got to roll with it. Uh, yes, old timers. You know, you know me and you, Don. You, you know, we've been there. You know, we know. Like Dick Vermeil had a great saying. He says, "Nobody ever drowned in sweat." I mean, nothing's better than that. <laughs> well, Vinny, you talked about it the last time you were on. Uh, you know, the the depth of the practices that he had, uh, not only with the with the Philadelphia Eagles, but of course in Kansas City, St. Louis, and so forth. Uh, how about the USFL? Do they have the same kind of restraint on how much you can practice and what you can do? No, there's not really those kinds of restraints. But, you know, a lot of NFL guys are there in the, in the USFL. And you have a guy like Todd Haley, so he's not going to beat the crap out of the guys. You know, look what's going on right now with, with the atmospheric, you know, atmospheric, atmospheric, atmospheric uh, conditions the atmosphere. because of the fires. <laughs> Yeah, the atmosphere right. up there in uh, in Canada, you know, and, and believe it or not, it got down to Memphis today, and uh, you know, and so you got you got to be concerned about stuff like that. But um, he, um, you know, he he knows how to get guys prepared for the team. I'm not there for practice. I I haven't. I've seen. I, I saw one practice uh, last year when they were out at Birmingham, and they were the Tampa Bay Bandits. Now they're the Memphis Showboats. But um, you know, there wasn't a lot of contact. But, I, you know, it's the, the contact is in the games and the fundamentals, I, I guess. You've you got to evolve as the game is going on, and eventually it will happen. Roger? Well, the league's got some really good coaches. I mean, what is it? Uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I mean, not only Todd Haley, but a lot of other coaches. Uh, Skip Holtz, I believe he's a uh, oh, yeah. coach in the league. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. these are not just uh, rinky-dink uh, coaches that were like last man on the uh, staff of uh, some team in the NFL. Hey, let me tell you, this is a great story because this is a Philadelphia story. We all remember Ted Cottrell, right? Uh, you know, the yes. guy from Chester. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm out there. I'm, I'm there on the sideline. Uh, I, I was in Canton because Vinny, Vinny's team, they were, they were playing in Canton this past weekend, and I was out there. And uh, who comes walking up at Ted Cottrell, here, here's a guy that went to Chester and coached there, and I'm an Interburg kid. I mean, how cool is that? And we're at the Hall of Fame field <laughs> in Canton, Ohio. You know, does uh-huh. it get any better than that? I mean, you know, it's, it's, but they're, they're, look, they have really, um, um, with, with Fox and, and the team and, and, the, and the team and, and, and the connection that they have with Fox and the, um, the promotion that they're doing for the league and they're getting great coverage in every game. Every game is on national TV, either through Peacock, Fox, uh, NBC. And, um, you know, they're getting a lot of exposure and, uh, and I think it's a great thing. And I know from last year, uh, I, I don't know, 40, 50 guys wound up in the NFL. So, um, you know, let's see what happens this year. 
But the coaching's there. Uh, the professionalism is there. Uh, the announcers, when you hear the announcers, I mean, these are big-time announcers that we've got there. And you got Moose Johnson, you know, Moose, uh, Moose, uh, and, so, um, you know, from the Cowboys. And he's, uh, yeah. he, he, you know, he's in charge basically of, of all the operations. And he's just done a good job. He knows how to get it done right. And, uh, and it's just been, been really great for the team and for the league. Mr. Sally, you talked about your son uh, doing such a great job on special teams, making tackles, too. Uh, that's the way you made the Philadelphia Eagles in the beginning. Uh, it's, a, it's an art. That special team play and tackles on the kickoff, uh, that's a special art. Well, it's an attitude as well. And, uh, you know, you just got to be able to go down and, and go, um, you know, all out. Uh, there's another word for it, but I won't use it. But you've got you've got to yeah. give it everything you have, and you know, and you got to be aware of what's going on out there in the field. Um, you know, one of the things that Todd Haley told me about Vinny, uh, the first time I met him last year, he says, uh, you know, it's situational awareness, and um, he, he just he, he just knows that these are innate talents that that, that athletes have, and um, you know, I was lucky enough to have that when I was playing. My wife Janet. Uh, you know, who was a great athlete and USA world-class gymnast, all those kinds of things. You know, you have that, you have that feel, and, uh, you know, he has that feel. And, you know, let, let's just uh, see how it goes. But, and, and then it's an attitude, you know. I mean, you've got to be willing to go out go downfield and give it everything you have and, and uh, you know, sort of sacrifice your body. But, you know, the, the rules where they are, and with the USFL, you know, with the kickoffs and the punts and those kinds of things, uh, they've, uh, they've eliminated some uh, really um, vicious hits because of the way they set up the, uh, the program, and, and, I, and I think I sort of like it. Roger? Yeah, you know, when you were mentioning about uh, Ted Cantrell the, uh, and, and, uh, and running into people, uh, I was at a basketball game locally here in Cumming, and uh, sat next to a gentleman that went to Bonner, and uh, and he knew Chappie Moore. So two nights later, I'm at a baseball game, and uh, the young man is uh, going to Penn, and he had a Penn football shirt on. And I said, what was it that led you to Penn? And uh, he says, well, my dad grew up at, uh, in Philadelphia. So I talked to his father. And uh, he knew Chappie more because he went to Bishop Kendrick and uh, grew up at 10th and Carpenter. So I called Chappie and I said, well, you're a legend in, in coming. Two out of three nights, I meet somebody that knows you, you know, here in Georgia. So you never know. You never know. And let me tell you something. Last night I, I was going, we were going out to dinner with my daughter and her boyfriend uh, in Jupiter. And we walk in there and all of a sudden, um, uh, Daniel, my, my my daughter's boyfriend, looks over and says, "Oh, look, look who that is!" And it turns out that here was Rory Massimino's daughter for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, and and his grandson who's who's trying to get into the PGA Tour. You just don't know, you know. And uh, the athletes that that the Delaware Valley has produced and. And they're all over the country, and, it, and it's pretty cool. And it was so funny because I said, you know, you just shook the hand of a St. Joe's hawk. <laughs> so immediately they ran out. They had disinfected me. <laughs> well, just, uh, just to inform some of the people around the country, uh, Raleigh Massimino, of course, has passed away, but the great, great coach at Villanova still has one of the all-time great national championship games and uh, 
never be forgotten and, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And, and uh, I'll tell you, uh, when you talk about people out of Philadelphia, uh, Vinny, we, we, we have a lot of them that have done great things. Yeah, you know, and it's really it, – it, there's so much pride in athleticism in Philadelphia. And, look, I'm going to be on the plane tomorrow heading to New Orleans for, for that wedding, and I'm going to be eagled up. <laughs> I mean, as simple as that. Are they going to play your movie and, on the flight? Every time you fly, you tell me they play your movie. Are you going to be on this Yeah, time? well, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 going, I'm going spirit. I, I know it's on Delta, and I know it's on American, but I don't, I don't know about spirit. But uh, I'll, I'll probably have my face in some book, but – you know, um, we have just, uh, you know, you're talking about Villanova. Uh, when I, I was a radio announcer for the original Philadelphia Stars. And Harry Donahue, you know, we all know Harry, the great voice from KYW. Yeah. Right. And, and Harry was a play-by-play guy. Guess, guess who my, my intern was and my assistant? Jay Wright. Who was <laughs> Jay Wright? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's Jay Wright. <laughs> That's Jay Wright. So, so this is how small the world is. So. I, I, I got a picture with Lee uh, Massimino, and I sent it to Jay. I said, can you believe who I just ran into? And then he goes and says, I just had dinner with Dick Vermeil and Ron Jaworski. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just that close circle. And, and, and Philadelphia sports, uh, you know, it just never ends. And, and the pride that we have, regardless of the sport, whatever it is, everybody's proud to be from Philadelphia. It's really a great thing. No question about it. And uh, one thing, going back to football for a second, uh, uh, just by uh, interpreting what you said, the difference in the rules now about kickoffs and punt returns and all that type of thing, uh, it's going to be a different game in 23 uh, than we've seen in the last 50 years. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I would, people would say, could you make it, you know, given the same opportunity now as opposed to last, you know, back in 76, I couldn't play under today's rules. I, I just couldn't get away with it because you can't block below the waist. Um, you know, they don't have wedges, and I, and I was a wedge breaker, and um, all, all these kinds of different things. The way the rules have changed, I, I, I probably never would have gotten that opportunity, but thank God, thank God that I did. But, you know, uh, there, there's so much invested. There's so much involved. Um, y- you know, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of some of the, some of the calls are, but it, you, you know, I, I guess right now you've you got to protect the asset, and it's always been about the asset. And it was that it was that way back in '76, and it's going to be that way right now, and that's the way it's always going to be. You got to take care of your asset, and uh, you know injuries, and that's one of the big things. You really because the game now, these guys are so strong, so fast, they're so smart that you really do have to protect the athlete. And and so hi, I, this I, is I Trevor. Um, sorry if I couldn't get to the phone. Just leave a message, and I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, we, we you may hang a, up uh, or got, press 1 for more options. we got a caller on our line here somewhere, and, uh, so we'll have to bypass that for a second. And uh, maybe if maybe Frank's got a question. Uh, he, he's been coaching everywhere in the country for uh, 50 years. Frank, you got a question for Vinny tonight? Yeah, we, he, just, uh, it, he just dropped out. He went into a small thing. Let me try and get him back on. Okay. Well, well, hold on. he wants to talk to Vince, and we're going to try to give him a chance to talk to him, this young fella. But, uh, Roger, we'll let you ask a question in between before Vince got to run. Roger? Roger? Getting back on. 
Roger's trying to get a hold of Wheeler. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Vince, uh, just hold on a second. We'll we'll chat a little about uh, Philadelphia sports for a minute. Uh, Frank's grandson wanted to say hello to you, and he follows the USF okay. all so closely, and your grandson closely, but they're they're having some yeah. communication problems. You know about those electronics. Sometimes they don't work, Vince. Yeah, sure. yeah, I, I didn't know whether – you know, I'm just walking around in my driveway out here outside. I didn't know whether that was my – my big thumbers, whatever. All of a sudden, there's this guy. That, so Trevor, uh, so tell Trevor I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk to him. I hope you picked up the check for your grand for your daughter. I was going to say granddaughter, not old enough for that. And you yeah, picked up the down. check. I hope down there. <laughs> yeah, everybody comes up. You know, I didn't have Gabrielle until I was 47. And everybody says, isn't it great to be with your granddaughter? I said, granddaughter, my butt. I said, you just met the Italian stallion. So, you know, I had to take a little <laughs> Sylvester yeah. alone there. <laughs> what's so, on the horizon, sorry, for, you? What's on the horizon for you other than the wedding? Well, uh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a great speaking engagement. I'm going to be in Philadelphia for the next two weeks starting next week. Well, um, let's give, it a, little, let's give it a little publicity. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm, – I'm real excited about it. I'm going to be at the uh, the former Ace uh, golf course right up there on Lafayette Hills. And, and right. now it's the uh, – yeah, so so now it's with the Union League. And I'm going to be speaking to the Philly 100 Forum. They're the top 100 entrepreneurs in Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about taking risks, overcoming odds. And you know there's going to be a lot of Eagles football to be talking there. I'm doing that. And and I uh, got a great thing with um, a Jersey man, and, and that's going to be coming up with Kenny Dunnick. I'll be doing that on the uh, on the 14th, and uh, just hanging around Philly. Oh, Ryan Jaworski's golf outing. He's that's coming up on the 22nd, 23rd. I'll be in town for that. What are you and, a six uh, handicap? Gonna, uh, yeah, six handicap per hole. Yeah, <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> And then I'm heading out to, well, well, uh, believe it or not, I'm heading out to Colorado Springs to give a speech to a chamber of commerce out there, which that will sort of round out. And in between, I'll be going back and forth to Vinny's games. Terrific, terrific. Well, best what of luck to Vinny. Yeah. I hope they keep winning and everything goes well. And as always, thank you very, very much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, I, I always Vince, before you go, I just want to tell you that I sat with Ken Dunnick at the uh, Sports Writers last year, and we had him on talking about his uh, magazines and everything in South Jersey. Oh, well, he doesn't, he doesn't just have that. He's got, he's got Jersey man. He's now got Miami man. Um, I mean, the guy's just really, uh, he's, you know, Ken, Ken, there's nobody better than Ken. And I knew Ken because he played for the world football. I mean, the USFL bells, you know, so I saw, I've known him from them. And then he went from there, you know, with the Eagles and got a chance being a Super Bowl. Uh, Ken's, Ken's the best, and he's involved in the community, and I love him to death. So I can't wait to be in Philly, and I'll be out there next week. And, uh, you know, hey, say, you know, fly, Eagles, fly, and uh, showboats, let's go, baby. There you go. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, Roger and I are uh, next week going to go over to Bucks County Playhouse, uh, Ray Dittinger's play. Uh, Tommy and me uh, is on it. Oh. The last week is next week, and. We're going to go over and see that one. Uh, I don't know if you have had a chance to see or talk to Ray Dittard or know much about it, but uh, it's had a great, great run at the uh, at the at the Playhouse. So we're going to go over next week and see it. So maybe oh we'll see some God. of your old friends over yeah. there. 
Well, I, I saw I saw it when it when it first came out. You know, I mean, Ray Vinatieri and I go way back. We played against each other in Pee Wee youth football when he was playing for Ridley and I was playing for Glen Olden. <laughs> if you can believe that, and uh, of course, Tommy McDonald was my idol. You know, I'll I mean, Tommy, Tommy McDonald. Some, he was he was, uh, and he was play my is, idol. The play is great. Oh, Vince, thank you so great. much. Best of luck to your son. Oh, you're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. All right, and you too. Thank you, Don and Roger and Frank Kyle and Trevor. I'm so sorry we didn't get a chance to talk. But you guys are the best. You are an invincible team. Thanks, guys. Thank you, my man. That's the name of the I'm movie, buddy. The Invincible. And uh, you Let's get to go. see it on it's, it's on a lot of the, the uh, channels. And it's also, as I mentioned to them, every time you fly uh, one of the planes, you normally have a <laughs> chance to see Invincible on the plane. Uh, just a terrific, terrific guy and a great story uh, coming out of St. Joe and uh, – and uh, coming out and playing with the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, and they, the story was uh, so good they made a whole movie out of it. It's terrific. Roger, what do we got? Well, we got right, Chris Wheeler with us. Okay. Pardon me. We got Chris Wheeler. Oh, I we got Chris is on with us through my phone, Don. All right, Chris, good to have you on with us, and your father, great guy, and Vince Papali, and tell us a little All bit right. about our Philadelphia Phillies because uh, they were. Down in the doldrums there for a bit, but the last three games they played a little bit better. I was glad to hear. I'm glad to hear you mention Vince's name because I got to know him so well. You know, in all our years around Philadelphia, and what a great guy! And yeah, that movie was that was pretty cool. That movie. That he was from our Interboro High School, I think, in Delaware County. Yeah, that he was. was. The, That's yeah. right. That's right. Anyway, I'm stalling talking about the Phillies, obviously. Um, well, the. I don't. I really. I don't know what to tell you except that they're kind of deficient in all areas right now. Which, which uh, you know, as far as consistency goes, and that basically will lead you to being a below 500 team. Which, you know, they've gotten to 500 and over a little bit, and then boom, they'll go into a losing streak. And you know, it goes down to a lot of things. But to me, it's always starting pitching, and their starting pitching has been so erratic that they really haven't been able to have any consistency in the rotation, and that it makes it harder and harder to have a winning streak. You know, unless you're just mashing it, and they're not doing that, and they don't catch the ball real well either. So, right now, you know, they're just kind of a uh, okay team. Chris Wheeler, our guest this segment, and Chris, of course, for those people across the country, uh, one of the great teammates of Harry Callis <laughs> and Richie Ashburn and Andy Musser <laughs> for so many years with the Philadelphia Phillies and yeah. broadcast a heck of a lot of games. How many games did – what What would be the number, oh would God. you guess, all sold, Chris? Oh, geez, Don, I was 37 years, you know, and uh, I did, you know, I did, you know, a lot of those years, I did 162 of them or close to it and spring training games, too. So, (laughs) you know, I've I've never I've had people say to me, how many games do you think you watch? How many games? I don't know. I really don't know. But it's a it's in the multi thousands. (laughs) (laughs) Roger, you're up. Well, you know, we, we talked to Dan uh, Baker, Chris, about that he, he uh, announced 20% of all-time Major League Baseball players' names. Wow. And, you know, and well, that shows you if you're around long enough, you yeah. can do a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think about how many games. You know, I think back, too, on how many radio pregame shows I did with all those different managers and postgame shows and stuff. You know, I, hey, I had a great time. I, You know, Don was a part of it for a lot of years, you know, that we worked together and did shows together or, or you know, were on broadcast together and stuff. And, 
and I never had a bad day. I just, I loved every minute of it. I, someone asked me about something, a road trip I told them about, and I, re- I realized one time I had gone, I had 37 straight years where I didn't miss a road trip, which is, wow. <laughs> you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they said, well, didn't it bother me? I said, no, it didn't bother me because everybody else had real jobs, and I was just flying around, flying around the country, you know, watching the Phillies play baseball in good and bad years. So, no, I, I – I had an unbelievable career. Uh, you know, I don't miss it. Uh, when the games are bad, I can turn them off now. I don't have to stay there the whole time and watch them and talk about them. So every everything everything's good. I'm sitting here in Florida right now, sitting out here looking at my golf course and everything, and, and on a beautiful night. Like Don knows how beautiful it is down here this time of the year, and uh, uh, all's good. Chris, I think you also had uh, a couple of interesting factors uh, Nobody, nobody could ever replace Whitey. I mean, people around the country <laughs> listening to us right now probably know the name of Richie Ashburn, Whitey Ashburn, uh, but they, they really don't know what kind of guy Richie Ashburn was <laughs> and, and, and what a character he was to work with. Maybe you just Oof. touch on it for a minute. Oh, well, he was my boyhood idol, uh, you know, and I made the mistake of telling him that one time, and he was having some problems at home, and he came to live with me while never paid me any rent and he said why would i pay any rent i was your boyhood idol so, i mean you can't make that up uh and, and so that's just one of the things to give me an insight of what he was like uh he was like i idolized him when i was a kid because he was you know we always thought he was little he was small you know like us because he could run like heck and he had all that blonde hair and all that he was always on base and catching the ball in the outfield so he was so much fun to watch and then when i was lucky enough to get to know him as a as a co- as a colleague and a friend and all he he was just unique uh you know he did it his own way he had his his way of doing the game you know the the nine guys that started the game on his scorecard always finished the game so that always made it a challenge when we would do the replays shows with Don, which you were well aware of what we would do. We'd have the cassettes, the cassette tape would be running. And then yeah. uh, Joe Gaines or whoever our, our, our techs were at the time would, I'd say, well, we want to save that highlight for the post-game show. So I would have a stack of, of highlights there sitting there with cues on them, you know, you know, a little more primitive. So I'll never forget one night I said to him before we, we the show started, I said, hey, Whitey, we don't have Bake McBride's RBI single in the fifth inning. We had a technical problem. Okay, pal. So now he's going along and he goes, and then in the and then in the fifth inning with a runner on second, up step Bake McBride. Well, it's dead silence. You know, we got nothing to do. And I look at him and I just throw my hands up in the air, and he looks back at me, and then he goes on the air. You can't make this up. He says, "Well, my producer Chris Wheeler once again failed to inform me that we did not have that replay." And, I mean, that was just, I mean, they, you say, what was he like? That was what he was like. You know, he did a pregame show with Don Zimmer one night, and neither one of them knew who the starting pitchers were for their team. And they did the, did the pregame show, and it went on the air. And it was one of the funniest things you ever heard, him and Zim together, not knowing who was pitching for either one of their teams. So, uh, <laughs> And how about what you say, though, about a player just came up in the minor league? Oh. What? Who, who was that player out there in left field? <laughs> or, or, or or if he would say something about a player and, they, and we'd, we'd send him out, he'd go, well, nobody told me that. You know, I mean, it was just – and you know, the, you know one of the great uh, things about him, because as Don mentioned and, and Roger, you know, he was just a great, great guy. And he was, yeah. he was so much fun to be around and everything. But he'd get away with anything. 
you know, if we just said something like that on the air, they'd say, come on, wheel, Wheeler, Musser, bear down. That's your job to know that they optioned that guy today or something, you know. <laughs> but with Whitey, it was like, well, that's just Whitey. And and it was um, – it, it, it was a combination of he was he was loved by many like me as a player, and then he was beloved as a broadcaster and as a character. And he and Harry had a great shtick uh, for a long, long time. And um, I miss him. I mean, we still it's we talk right now, and when we talk about Whitey, we laugh. And I always yeah. thought, what a great gift! What a great gift to leave uh, to the world that when you talk about someone, you smile and laugh. And that's what he brought to all of us—a lot of pleasure. No well, question about it. Roger, first, you're up before we get back to another yeah, topic. Was, Go ahead. Yeah, he was the first player I ever got an autograph from. <laughs> and 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 the, and but wait, you'll you'll you know the general area. You know, I lived sure. in Drexel Hill in Pilgrim Gardens. He he was living uh, on Belfield Avenue off the Township Line. Mm-hmm. So the word gets out to all the guys that reach, <laughs> you know, and they played on Saturday afternoon, so they're home Saturday night. So we, we can bulge, <laughs> converge on his house, and he comes out, and his kids are in the front yard and everything. He signed my glove, my wallet, and his baseball card. And do you That's know great. I still have that autographed baseball card? I think well, it was from 56. Yeah. Well, you know, back another thing, you know, before we get off Whitey, 1955, 1958, he's a two-time National League batting champion. And think yeah. of the guys he beat out in that era: Mays, Aaron, Clemente. Uh, you know, and he was a two-time batting champion in that era of some of the greatest players and hitters <clears throat> in the history of the sport. And he won the bat. He won the batting title one year, hitting 350 to beat Mays on the last day of the season. Yeah, 338 the other time. Mm-hmm. Right, 338 the other time. See, so, you remember these yeah. statistics, you know. You know, the other well, thing, and the other thing was that the, he led the Mets. I think his batting average was 307. When he, the last year when he played with the New York 52. Mets, he was the only one hit Don, 300. Don, he was the most valuable player on the worst team in history. And we yeah. reminded him of that many times. <laughs> one thing I didn't well, know, reading this, read, read this book, uh, it's been out for a while. I guess it came out in 19 or 20, somewhere in there, about uh, Dick Allen. And, and I didn't realize that at one point Richie – was one of the ones that went up uh, to Perkesy, uh yeah. sort of illegally, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to try to negotiate with uh, Dick Allen to come back to the Phillies and sign and so forth. And they had to go before Bowie Coon before it all got settled out because <laughs> they said that it wasn't legal. But I never thought of Richie as a negotiator for a contract for other players. He was very, very close with with Dick Allen uh, to the day that uh, Whitey died. I mean. Dick, you know, I still call him Richie because I've always called him Richie when I was around him. But they were extremely close. And uh, Whitey would go up to to, uh, Perkesy, as Don just said, because he had horses up there. He had a a home up there with horses. So he would go up there and hang out with them, and they just got along. They were just great, great friends. So, you know, at the time when the Phillies were trying to get Allen to sign, uh, you know, I don't know how it happened, uh, but he did get involved a little bit, and it didn't hurt. <laughs> Let's leave it that. Let's leave it at that. The friendship, yeah. but you know, t- tell the story about the pizza, okay? <laughs> when I I love that story. <laughs> well, it's yeah, you know, that's the thing. You know me; I don't make up stuff. I mean, it, it, this really happened. So we're doing the, you know, we're on radio one night. You know how we used to sit there and. The, 
uh, you know, it's Harry and Whitey and Annie Mustard. I know we all had our different turns and endings to do us. So anyway, before the game, we had a little uh, get together, and I said, "Listen, Whitey, you got a uh, Dave Montgomery. Uh, we signed a deal, or we're signing a deal with a pizza with somebody with a pizza company or something like that, and they don't want us begging for food on the air and mention celebrities anymore." which was a pizza place right around the corner in South Philly. They used to bring us pizzas when Whitey would beg for – all right, pal, I got here. I hear you. I mean, that night, we're going late, like extra innings or whatever it was, and Whitey's hungry. So he, I'm sitting there with him, doing color with him, and he goes, you know, I'd like to – this time I'd like to congratulate the Celebrese family. Bob <laughs> Celebrese and his wife, they had the birth of twins today, and they named them Plain and Pepperoni. <laughs> well, I just looked. I just looked at him, and I, I just looked at him like, "You got to be kidding me!" And about half an hour later, and and they wrote a story about it in Philadelphia a couple a couple weeks ago about the pizza delivery men talking about it and how it's a, it's a true story. Next thing you know, you smell the pizzas in the back of the booth. We had a, pen, a plane and a pepperoni. There they were. <laughs> he got, he got you it can't done. make these stories up. I mean, really. Uh, you know, he got, into, he got into the go use this on his, uh, every time he went up for a banquet to, to uh, speak. And uh, uh, one of the things he always <laughs> talked about was getting his contract sent in from the general manager. <laughs> and, you know, as you mentioned, John there's a guy who led the league at Hitty. And, uh, right. and uh, so they sent him a contract was either for exactly the same amount or less than he made the year before. <laughs> right. And he always used that story at a, at, at a banquet. You remember that one? And, and he, Wheels? Yeah, because he because he would say the, the GA may have been Roy Hamey at the time. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, in the 50s. Um, and and they said, well, you know, you're whatever it was, as you said, Don, it was either the same or less. And Whitey would tell us for whether it was true or not. Right. But it was a great story. He'd say, well, you know what they said to me? They said, well, you hit too many singles. And you know what <laughs> I said to them? I said, if I hit my singles any further, they'd be out. It's <laughs> a hell of a point. The general manager didn't appreciate that answer. Whitey did no. not sign the contract. <laughs> no, no, but you know, those days they had the hammer over him, obviously, until it, a long, long time. Still, after that, until the union came along, until free agency and all that. So, take it or leave it. And he had like 15 minor league teams. If you didn't like it, you go sit in a minor league team for four years or something. So. But he was such a good player, they were going to sign him. But that's what he said about his singles. Well, you know, Will, let's go back uh, momentarily here now. We, we spent a lot of time talking about what I think were the great years. Uh, you know, the game's changed a little bit now, and it's uh, a little harder to watch for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, you mentioned the Phillies' inconsistency, and that's pretty much what it is. They bought a shortstop for an awful lot of money, and he's in 235, and uh, you know, they, they, they just can't seem to put things together. Yeah, and, and that, that uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be tough for him to get back to his lifetime, uh, Trey Turner. But this guy is a bona fide, terrific player. And he finally had a four-hit game the other night. And he's just, right. it's, like he, it's like he's trying to live up to his contract. And, you know, they blew him a little bit. But he's lucky enough that he's played in, he played in Philadelphia a lot of times with the Nationals. So he knows what it's like, you know, and things don't go right. So he's been good about it. But, yeah, with these contracts, I mean, how do you live up to them? All these shortstops that were signed, I think every one of them is struggling. Swanson and Correa and all these guys you know, are struggling right now this year. So, uh, you know, it's the game, as Don mentioned, is very different. Uh, they're trying to change a few things, which are good with the clock and all that. Uh, 
But uh, it's not the game we knew because it's still a game of strikeouts and home runs. You know, there's just even though the games go so much faster, there's still a lot of dead time because of outs, because of strikeouts, because these guys all throw so hard nowadays, and these hitters all start to hit, all try to hit home runs. So, you know, we still have that problem in the game, and I don't know how they solve that, to be honest with you. Roger? Just talking about the minor leagues, I Googled Oduba Herrera today. Uh, the uh, people's uh, favorite, okay? Say oh, that Yeah. And uh, he's a free agent, and he's not playing any place, even in the minor he's, leagues, Chris. He's not. Nobody signed him. I didn't know that. You know, I, I personally, you know, I understand, you know, the problems that he had. And he was, although, you know, when I, I was still around when he was there, and he was one of the best guys you ever wanted to know. He was just, he was polite. He was friendly. He was flaky. You know, he may, may have been ADD or something, you know, who knows. But uh, he was really a good guy. And you, I was one of those people that kind of rooted for him that, uh, you know, when he came back from the problems that he had had, that, that it would work out for him. But he's just too he's too wacko as a player. You know, he just couldn't bear down enough to be a good player. Chris, you uh, did pregame shows with a host of managers. Uh, Skipper Lucchese, <laughs> I guess, probably was the beginning for you. Uh, maybe before that, but that's you know, first Don, I could think Don, of. Don, my first, my first year doing manager shows was Nick Lava, believe it or not. Wonder that's when I started wow. doing them. Yeah. Give us, give us a sort of thumbnail sketch as you go through uh, the managers, uh, a little bit of oh, their personality geez. and what you thought, you know, were there strong points and some of the things you thought were, just didn't work out. Well, there's so many of them, but, you know, uh, you know, I'd touch on a couple. You know, I mentioned Nick, who was very young, and, uh, you know, he would get $100 for the show, and I would get 25 at the time. And every time we finished, you know, at that time, that was a lot of money. It was 89 you know, we were all, you know, none of us were making all that much. So, so we would finish the show, and Nick would go, ka-ching. Like, <laughs> you know, and I would just look at him. I would just look at him and laugh. But, you know, I did all those pregame shows with a guy like with Jim Fergosi. And it was an it was an, an education to do that, and um, so many broadcasters have a bad habit now. They don't ask questions. They they make a statement and then they hold the microphone there and have the guy answer their statement or something. So one time I was doing a show with him, and I'll never forget it. And I I fell into that and I did it. And he looked at me with those eyes over those little glasses he'd wear, and he said, uh, "Mr. Wheeler, are you about to ask, are you about to ask me a question or just try to tell everybody how smart you are?" <laughs> well, I turned the tape recorder off again, start over. I said, "Okay." I said, "Jimmy, you proved your point. You pain in the." You know what? He taught me something uh, on that. You know, I don't think I had a bad habit of doing it, but maybe I did do it. Uh, and I never did it after that. And, you know, I would try to help kids that were trying to get in the profession. I'd say, just listen to all these professionals out there that make these long statements, and then they stop, and then they want the guy to just go yes or no or uh, ask a question. And uh, I learned a lot, uh, and, and Jimmy really helped me a lot with that. And then, you know, you go through a lot of the other managers that I work with and, and, and doing shows with Boa all those years. That was always a challenge. Because you never knew, you know, which which personality was going to be in there that day when you walked in. <laughs> yeah. and Don, Don, you and Roger know I can say that because he and I are about as close as two people can sure. be after 50-some years with each other. But I would walk in once in a while, I'd look at him, and he'd have that look. And I'd say, listen, I don't want to be in here with you any more than you want me in here with you right now. But I need <laughs> five minutes. 
And he'd look up and, you know, he'd give you that thing and cuss a little bit. Let's go. And he'd give you a great pregame show, you know, the way he could turn it on, turn it on and off. And, of course, I had all those years with Charlie, with Charlie Manuel, which was, you know, sometimes we had to do some translations after we did it. And I'd have to, I'd have to call Jim Jackson, who was doing the shows, and say we have to get a couple of these certain cuss words out that are in there tonight. Because I had a thing with Charlie. Even when he knew he had cussed, I said, "Just keep going, and we'll we'll figure it out later. Just 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 don't worry about it. If you cuss, we don't have to start all over again." So we'd edit that out. So, I, I mean, I just, you know, then near the end, my last shows, I guess, were, you know, I was doing shows with Ryan Sandberg, you know, for, uh, right near the end, uh, and Pete McCannon and those guys right near the end of my career, uh, before we, you know, before I moved on and started to. You know, not being on the air anymore. But I did. I, you know, I didn't mention every manager, but there were so many of them, and with all their different personalities. But those guys I just mentioned, they were unique. They were a lot of fun to be around. Well, I'll tell you, there are only two, two two players that I can think of of my whole career, even up right through today, and uh, I'll never forget it. They said, "Would you go down and talk to Jim Ray Hart?" We want to do a five-minute show with Jim Ray Hart. I said, I, I don't think you want to do that. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Jim Ray, we want Jim Ray Hart. I said, okay, I'll go down and talk to him. The other was Moses Malone. And all they wanted to oh, all was <laughs> they called me from New York and said, look, uh, uh, we're, you're going to be in Houston. And Moses, uh, was, uh, he was there for we were, I don't know, was Thanksgiving Day or Christmas Day. All we want him to say is Merry Christmas or Happy Thanksgiving, whatever it is. Uh, very happy to be here in Houston, Texas. I want to tell you, okay, those two guys, you could be there for four hours and you wouldn't be able to get three minutes out of either one of them. Yeah, they were not chatty. I didn't know. Either. I mean, I, I knew about Jim Ray Hart, you know, from watching him as a player. and God, he could hit. He was such a good player. But then, and I didn't know Moses Malone, but everybody knew Moses Malone, and I, I know they weren't they weren't real chatty guys. So that was that, that was tough duty, Don. <laughs> it's a it's an amazing it's a it's it's so much fun as you said at the top of our show tonight, and it's, <laughs> everything we did was fun. I mean, right up till today, yep. right up doing this show each week, it's so fun. It was fun. They don't have as much fun as they used to have. You know, it's a shame that a lot of the fun's gone out of a lot of things, and you can't have you can't really have the fun and camaraderie that we used to have because there's so many people in go betweens in between this guy in oh, between that terrible. guy. You know, this guy is a, is a quality control for this and all that. Anyway, you know, back in those days, they had their job, we had our job, and we all got along for the most part. I mean, I can and. Uh, you know, we all know the people we didn't get along with, but, you know, no need to go there. But for the most part, we all got along. We all had our jobs to do, and everybody helped each other do their jobs, and we had a hell of a lot of fun. No question. Well, I said that uh, a few years ago when I was doing a, uh, uh, a speaking engagement, and I said I can't remember one year, uh, all the years that I was there at CAU, whatever, when somebody from another station would say, no, I can't come over and be on a, you know, they were pretty yep. touchy about people coming from one station to another. But I never mm-hmm. had one person ever tell me, no, I won't come over and do the show with you. I, I never had that happen. Well, that was also, you know, and I'm going to blow some smoke for you at you right now. That's also a tribute to the person that does the show, in this case you, that they, right. they liked you and they trusted you. And they knew if they went on your show that it would be okay. And there's always something to be said but by gaining Chris somebody's Wheeler, trust. One of the great voices of the Philadelphia Phillies. Go ahead, Roger, before uh, we move, move on to Mike. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you a real quick, Chris. Uh, you're exactly right about fun. Uh, I was uh, training a lot up in New England uh, on my full-time job, and I did my you know, uh, Thursday night show uh, or Friday night show at WH in Princeton. And so I'm at Fenway, and I asked Bob Starr, who you knew, uh, you know both of <laughs> yeah, these, sure. and Bob Euchre, as yeah. they come on. <laughs> well, I, I had met Bob Starr once. And uh, so he's on, but I could tell Bob Euchre was a little apprehensive. But then he saw that I had Bob Starr. I never right. said one word. It was Bob Starr setting up Bob Euchre, and everybody at the station told me nobody left because it was Bob, so hilarious. Bob Euchre, to the last time I saw him, and he's still around working and doing his thing, yeah. is still the funniest man I've ever been around. And he was Early funny all the time. He was yeah. hysterical. Just hysterical. How about when he took the bus, left the, left the team oh. stay. He took the bus. <laughs> took, jumped in well, and all the players waiting to go back to the hotel. Euchre takes the bus uh-huh. and drives away. There's nothing well, funnier <laughs> than being in the press room before the game with Euchre hold court and just listening <laughs> to him start telling stories and telling stories about Johnny Carson and all the years he was on the Johnny Carson. He, he, would, he, he had a joke. He had a story for everything. And he was, he would, you would literally belly laugh around this guy. God, I loved him. Well, thank you very much. It's always a tremendous segment, and we really appreciate it. We'll get together again real soon as the season comes to a, a little bit of a second half. Sure, Don. You and Roger have been Chris, big friends for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, it's great to talk Thanks, to you, Chris. you and uh, Don, Roger. All right, you guys take care. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right, Mike is up and ready to go as we move from. Uh, Baseball to soccer, and he's got the number. He had, last week he had the number one story with Washington and the sale of the team, and what was going on with the uh, with the ownership deal. This week he's got the, the uh, story of the week as well. As message goes, going to go to Miami. Uh, what do you know about that? Is it going to happen? What are you all talking about? I thought we were talk. We were here to talk about the uh, Frankenberg Nationals and the fact that they were nine and one in their last ten games in single A. <laughs> well, that may be true, but I'm not aware of that. But I'll give you all the credit in the world for that story as well. But uh, Lionel yeah, Messi seems to be yeah, to be the yeah. uh, big so story down know, there about going to Miami, Florida. Yeah, uh, it was confirmed today that uh, Lionel Messi is going to sign as a free agent uh, July 1st for Inter Miami. Uh, the terms. Uh, the exact contract value uh, has not been officially disclosed, but what we do know is that he is getting a shared profit from Adidas on the merchandise that they sell and from Apple on the new subscriptions to the MLS season ticket. So uh, he he himself said this is a deal with – it goes beyond just the normal image rights that athletes have to some profit-sharing things. And he said this is the one deal that he had in front of him that gave him the opportunity to take his financial future out of other people's hands. Roger? Well, the uh, United are playing uh, tonight – 
the uh, uh, out to, out west uh, at ten thirty, and uh, I was looking at the uh, uh, the standings the other day, uh, you know, and it's it's interesting uh, how they uh, recently they've been playing a lot better than they were uh, for you know several games, Mike. Well. Atlanta United, again, we talked about this last week, Roger. They've started to gel. Uh, Giorgio Giamakis has been just scoring at an unbelievable clip, especially when you consider he wasn't a guy who started a ton of games for Celtic, and he's typically been used in this very strange role where he's primarily somebody that you bring in in the last – 30 minutes of a game and say, go out and get a goal. And he proceeds to do that. Um, I question because this was a role that he was used in a lot in Celtic. And one of the reasons why he left Celtic was because he felt like he could start games and and things like that. Uh, And he's not now. Uh, I wonder if his utilization is going to become an issue as we go further and further down uh, throughout the season. But, yeah, Roger, you're right. Um, Atlanta United is playing some really good soccer right now. Yeah, they have a the, – you know, it's, it's difficult to see them – uh, not like it used to be when I could watch it over the uh, air television – but uh, I know that I I, uh, I get all the scores, you know, and, and it gets like a uh, uh, the horn sound every time there's a, a goal on my phone. So uh, that way I'm able to, to uh, uh, follow them. But, Roger, what you bring up is going to be really, really interesting because of one, of, one of the reasons why Apple, the corporation, was willing to do what they did was uh, the the viewership, the streaming of the game, the re- early returns suggest that this MLS season uh, ticket package on Apple Plus that uh, MLS used to negotiate, uh, the early returns suggest that it's not as popular as they had initially planned. And they okay. were able to, they were able to go to Apple, and we're talking about one of the most valuable companies in the world, and convince them to go on in on this venture to sign Lionel Messi. Uh, I don't know when we've ever seen a deal quite like this, not just in American sports but in all of sports. When it was David Beckham, it was the authorship of. It was the ability to buy a franchise at what at the time was 50% rate, what turned out to be about a 33% rate. That's not in there. This is literally an offer, gentlemen, from the biggest technology company in the world and one of the two biggest footwear companies in the world for profit sharing. I've never seen anything like this. Let me just uh, get jump in and say Mike Simzak is our guest this segment. Always uh, really a hockey aficionado, a uh, 
soccer aficionado, a baseball aficionado. He's down there in the Washington, Baltimore area. And, Mike, uh, let me jump in and sort of switch for a second. Is there anything new on the story we talked about at great length last week on, on the Commanders? Uh, what's happening there this week? Uh, the sale still hasn't gone through, so does that leave us exactly where we ended last week? What's your thought? Um, Josh Harris needs to go up. He needs to answer a couple of questions. There's still an issue with about a billion dollars in unsecured debt that he needs right. to solve. And until he's able to go up there and uh, up and by up there I mean to New York to satisfy the league that he has taken care of this, the sale won't move forward. Um, business for the commanders has gone on. Um, they have signed their draft picks. They seem to have signed the free agents that they're going to sign this year. They're into um, their mandatory minicamp. They're out of their OTAs. The biggest story with the commanders in the last week is that Chase Young and Montez Sweat, both of whom had, who had not been part of the voluntary process of the offseason, both signed up, showed up for the mandatory minicamp. So we, we've got Chase Young back uh, at training camp for the commanders. So things are moving Josh along Wentz, from, a, the Eagles. from a player standpoint, things are moving along in pretty good fashion. Roger, you're up. Well, I was just going to say uh, Schwett uh, was uh, with the Eagles last year and really had a uh, a good season. No, that, you're thinking about Josh Schwett. Um, yeah, I'm, that's who I'm Schwett. thinking about, Josh Schwett. Yeah, Montez Schwett has been Monta, a uh, – yeah. and by the way, no relation. Um, Montez Sweat is the other defensive end. Uh, so Chase Young is in the final year of his rookie deal, having not had his fifth-year option picked up. Montez Sweat, who plays opposite him on defensive line, is in the fifth year of his rookie deal after having had his fifth-year option picked up. So after last year where the commanders gave a boatload of money to um, along their defensive line, they've got to make a decision off from one needs to. Gentlemen, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Chase Young, remember, he was the uh, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, right. What was it? Three years ago, his rookie year. Um. All reports are that, look, if you are interested in guaranteeing that fifth year uh, and you're willing to give up a late-round draft pick, the the, uh, commanders might listen to what you have to say. That's hard to believe that he's deteriorated. uh, His stock has deteriorated uh, that, that much where they would uh, accept that deal. Because, you know, I would have thought that uh, he would have already gotten the uh, fifth year picked up and or even gotten a new contract. Obviously, uh, Ron Rivera is not happy with his performance the last year. Well, so. it was uh, seven and a half sacks his rookie year. And then mm-hmm. one and a half sacks through the first uh, 
six games of his second year, and then he was taken out of the starting rotation because he wasn't running the scheme how they had thought that he was, and there were a lot of off-the-field issues. Um, the next game, he tears his ACL. He misses the remainder of his second year and only comes back and plays three games uh, last year. And there was a lot of times last year where the team – and this is always a really tricky situation, gentlemen. And, and you can go either way on this. The team felt for about six games or more that he was healthy and that their doctors had cleared him to play and that he could have gone out. He did not. So he did not play for three of those games. He only played the last three games this season. So on top of this feeling amongst the organization that he wasn't willing to work in to improve, there was this issue last year where they felt like there were three games where he could have played and they really could have used him, where he said basically, he and his people said, no, you know what, we're not there yet. It's very, very easy to side with ownership and the team and say like, hey, if, if our doctors say you should be, but then, you know, it is these guys' hopes. They know their bodies better than we do. No question true. about that. We're just telling yeah. you that uh, Murphy just hit a two-run home run for the Braves. It's 4-3 yeah. Mets right now four, going three. to the top of the uh, sixth inning. Uh, let's yeah. move on, uh, Mike, for a second. Uh, you got a new uh, president, general manager of uh, the Washington Hockey Club. Has any, uh, anything developed there? The Flyers may. We talked about it earlier in the show. The Flyers uh, started to make their moves now. Uh, how about the Washington? Um, not really. And a lot of people are waiting to see what goes on. Uh, I haven't been able to get a read on how people feel about the coach. Uh, he comes in as a bit of an unknown. What I do know is younger guy, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's about the same age as Ovechkin, who he's going to be coaching. Comes in from Kenna. He has a really good record with minor league franchises coming up through the leagues and um, sitting as an assistant coach. Uh, he has a reputation for being uh, a bit of a obsessive. Like, he wants to win. He's going to obsess over the details. Given that their last regime was more player-friendly, he's going to be more of a disciplinarian. Uh, he wants to bring in up the young guys, and that's an issue. Everybody you talk to around here who watches covers is anyway associated with the um, Capitals team will tell you that like this is a team that is in a very, very, very tough position. You have some absolute legendary players in Ovechkin who is 70-odd goals away from breaking uh, Wayne Gretzky's record. And they'd really love it if he does it in a um, Capitals jersey. But then you have the likes of Backstrom, Carlson, those guys who, who – uh, Oshie, who are just uh, – they're, they're 
for lack of a better way to put it, they're old, they're hurt. And um, how, how, how do you balance maintaining a team that can help or vets can compete, get into the playoffs, potentially make another cup run, and get him past Wayne Gretzky's record with the need to rebuild, recognize, like, you've got to get a lot younger, and there aren't a, a whole lot of ways to do it. Well, we'll leave it right there for this week, Mike. Thank you once again. You, uh, you're right on the top stories, Messi, and we'll see what happens there. And uh, MLS, of course, is uh, making strong strides in the TV contracts and everything else that Roger talks hey, about. Uh, watch those uh, Fredericksburg Nationals. Apparently they're playing really, really well in single A. They're playing a lot better than I thought they were going to play. I agree with you. Next week we'll talk about the Nationals. The single A affiliate. Talk to you later, gentlemen. Have a good one. Take care, Mike. Doug Hamilton is on the line next, and uh, he's down the Baltimore, Washington area as well, our PGA professional. And if you want to talk about a conflict, the PGA and Liv is uh, they're down the commissioners, but unfortunately, both sides are not very happy about the fact that they shook hands and made a deal. Tell us about. Tell us about it, <laughs> Doug. Right. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of years to the ground right now with how this framework is going to work and how this is going to proceed. What we do know is uh, that, um, you know, the litigation and, and all that courtroom and all that stuff is, is commenced. And, um, you know, you've got a lot of players, as they held a players-only meeting, uh, immediately following this air quotes deal uh, that are pretty upset about this on the PGA tour. A lot of these guys are feeling, I think the number one word used was betrayed. Uh, well, they, the they, put their, they put everything uh, they had on the line and stayed with the PGA and said, no, yep. uh, you know, and like McElroy and, and uh, well, not only, but you know, and, and uh, now all of a sudden the commissioner makes a deal and the, uh, the players aren't really aware of it until it's announced in the media yesterday. Well, I mean, even Greg Norman himself uh, didn't know about this. No, so he was, wasn't. He wasn't involved in the negotiation. He wasn't even there. No, no. There's there's a lot of backroom deals I think that were probably made here, and it'll be interesting to see uh, as they put this framework together and the amount of you know billions of dollars how this how this um, trickles down, if you will, because. To your point, Don, you've got guys uh, like, you know, your Mickelsons and Dustin Johnsons and all these guys that took all these millions of dollars to jump to the live tour. Now they get, not only do they get the millions of dollars that they got, you know, when they jumped, but now they get to apply for their PGA membership again. And, and, you know, I would assume that's the very definition of betrayal in terms of the PGA tour players and how they feel about this, because they could have done the same thing and gotten the same, Right, and eat it too. Um, and also you know, the Ryder so Cup now, so, and and uh, you know, it, there's so many side things that go into it. They weren't qualified to play and get the big purse at the end of the season. Sure. They weren't qualified to play in a Ryder Cup play. Now that's all been banished, and now they're they, they might they get all that money and they do it. The same thing the players are doing. They're on the PGA. Well, in theory, um, I think that you know what you're going to see moving forward is if. All these guys, you know, that jump to the live tour, that get their opportunity to come back to the PGA tour or whatever they call it or whatever the overarching name they use or conglomeration or partnership or whatever. Right. Um, 
if they don't accumulate enough points to qualify themselves for the Ryder Cup, I, I would strongly suggest that they're probably not going to be captain's picks because I think you're going to see some repair work that needs to be done with the animosity that, that is current um, amongst these players. And, um, you know, I think that they're probably going to have to reframe, you know, some of their tournament schedules and some of their rules and, again, how this all comes together because the Live Tour had a team concept to it that, that wasn't involved in, in the PGA Tour. And, you know, I think as they start to reshape what this framework looks like, you, you may have some changes on the horizon, uh, you know, with that. But, again, I think we'll we'll know more in, in coming days, weeks, months, et cetera, as to what exactly this deal means uh, for, for those three tours combined and, and how that looks moving forward with reactions from players and money and formats and, you know, venues and all these sorts of things, you know, you know, and again, to your point again, Don, the, the overarching concept of, of Ryder Cups and, and some of those international and team, you know, deals that, that get made there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I don't know that you, me, or anybody else ever thought that this would have been a deal that was struck, um, you know, based on what we knew. Um, but, you know, I don't know. At the end of the day, uh, maybe something good will come out of this in terms of, of what happens uh, for some of those players. Chambly, boy, he blasted everybody. Roger, you're up. Well, the, there's also now a lot of uh, talk in the government about uh, an investigation uh, because they do not want, uh, is it the crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia who may be the commissioner of this or somebody in the uh, family in Saudi Arabia? And, of course, you've got uh, the people that uh, still have the lawsuit about 9-11 and uh, a lot of people are really upset about this whole thing. And then when uh, Saudi Arabia all announces just recently that they're going to cut back on their uh, 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 oil uh, production so that that's going to raise prices here of fuel, it's a mess. This whole thing well, is a mess. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> Gas prices always go up in the summertime because, you know, they, they kind of got you by the short hairs there anyway because of people traveling and driving. Well, they, and, they announced that they were cutting back, okay, Saudi no, Arabia, I mean, and then they, they merged. With, wait a minute, Doug. And then they merged. Yeah. I, I watched this on TV today with Congress. There's a lot of congressmen that are now talking about this. They do not want a, a foreigner, and especially somebody from Saudi Arabia, running a league in the United States. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, you know, we'll go off topic here a little bit because I think, you know, Congress was involved in, you know, a lot of the steroid concepts of, of you know, Conseco and Palmero and McGuire and all. I mean, the, the Congress needs to figure out how they can pay their bills. The Congress needs to stop sending money to the Ukraine so that, you know, we, we can actually spend money on our own people. But I digress, you know. So, you know, at well, the end of the day, I'm not disputing I'm, you know, that. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, we have we have other things in life that are more important than figuring out who's going to be the commissioner of the whatever tour, as opposed to, you know, <laughs> all the worldly things that need to happen in the United States. So, um, you know, it's it's. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I really don't care who that is and what that means and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, a deal but was struck. But there's a lot of we'll people, 
that do, Doug, that were affected by 9-11 and there's a lawsuit that's been going on. And it's and then when they make this announcement, it's just like a slap. I mean, I'm not saying. Yeah. I mean, I look at it one way. You look at it another way. Don might sure. look at it another way. But it is a slap in the face. I mean, there's no doubt about yeah, it. I mean, I think. I mean, the feet, there's on. Go ahead. There's no question. I mean, I think that we we looked at the live tour as a, another tour uh, that a lot of these players jumped to because it was you know financially better for them, which. You know, I mean, I hate to tell you, but, I mean, that's the way the world works. I mean, you know, you have a job, you know, somebody wants to offer you another one, and you, they pay you more money, and, and all these other things are better for you, then great, you know, you go there. But, you know, there was a lot of underlying issues that, you know, they, they had different formats, and they had shotgun starts, and they played 54 holes, and they had less venues. And, you know, you got guys like Phil Mickelson that are tweeting out, oh, well, you know, one of our guys won, you know, a major because we play less golf really and we're fresher and, you know, all these different things that, you know, you talk about slaps and faces. I mean, that, that's essentially what he was doing, you know, by saying all these things in his tweets. And now, but the, but, you know, well, Doug, the big thing is that they're complaining about uh, is, is the fact that we're, how much this money now is going to filter in to the PGA tournament. So you, what you're doing is right. you're basically all the ones that did not want to take the money, didn't want to, wanted to stay in PGA as a whole. Now all that money is now going to feed into both of the tournaments, and so you're really taking money from Saudi Arabia, which they don't want to do. <laughs> right. Well, here's the next thing. This is this is on the horizon. You wait. You know, you you have in, in our world that we currently live in, you have all these diversity and inclusion concepts. How is this going to affect the LPGA tour? And and what are they going to say when it comes to? Oh well, gosh, you know the guys are making more money than we are. You know, right. now they they're going to make even more money. You know, you're you're, yeah. you're going to have you're going to have. I mean, to your point, Roger, this is an absolute catastrophe. This is a cluster. You know, you know what? I mean, in terms of, you know, what what this is going to mean for, you know, things moving forward. I mean, it 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 makes things whacked out of balance. You know, when Ooh, well, that, let me ask you this: you're you're a member of the PGA. And yes. how often uh, – it's a membership. Uh, I want you to explain to me. And how often yeah. do you renew? So, or do you renew? I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I'll fill you in on this concept. So when you become a PGA member, um, you know, it, to me, that's kind of like getting your undergraduate degree. And mm-hmm. there, are, there are three more levels that you can a- obtain – um, past that. So the first level past being a PGA member is what they call specialized. To be specialized, you have to basically go online and it's about, I don't know, 60 hours of online courses and you have to write it between an eight and 20 page term paper. All right. So then after that, you become specialized. The next step is certified. So that's like mm-hmm. basically getting your master's degree. Um, that's 250 hours of online stuff. Um, you know, and, and another five to ten page paper, and then the final step is what they so. The final step is, is what they call a master professional. So there's thirty, we'll call it thirty thousand PGA members, and there are roughly five hundred to six hundred master professionals of those thirty thousand. So I've I've reached the certified level, which means I get to use the PGA logo, and there's two stars above it. So essentially. You know, when you talk about hierarchies of, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, whatever, 
I'm basically a two-star general when it comes to, you know, whatever. To your point, to answer the question, every – so the fiscal year runs. So every, like, June 1, I have to pay my PGA dues, which is about 500 bucks. Okay. Um, you know, and, and there's – so so they give you three years. There's a three-year cycle that you have to obtain, I think, 60 what they call continuing education credits, which their term is called PDRs. So this is the first year of three, and I, you're supposed to get 60 credits to continue your education to keep your membership, essentially, in good standing. I have 200. <laughs> so, I mean, I've certainly done my work in terms of continuing education, and it's pathetic that you see, you know, PGA members at my level, the club level, um, you know, that are trying to promote the game, trying to grow the game, trying to teach the game, that struggle to get – so if you don't get if you don't get 60 credits in that three year period, you go to what they call Class F. Class F is basically like you're shunned, you know, in the Amish world of you basically didn't do what you're supposed to do, and people that work under you can't accumulate credits towards their PGA membership, and you have to figure out how to get back yourself back on track uh, to get back to where you were before, you know. So, um, you know, it's it's no different than saying. You know, you see kids that go to college that, you know, after their freshman semesters, they, they, they have like a 2.0 GPA. You know, you have to learn how to learn, you know, at that level. But the onus becomes on the student to say, what do I have to do to get to this level, right? So what do I have to do as a PGA member to continue my education to say, you know, I'm, you know, proficient in teaching and coaching, right? So what does that actually mean in terms of me going to seminars and workshops and, you know, these different things? to not only network and meet my own brethren, but also to learn what it is that I need to learn to teach other people how to play the game better, right? So the mm-hmm. onus becomes on the person to say, what can I do to set myself apart from someone else? And that's what I did, which was to re-educate myself and become a certified PGA member. Well, let's leave it right there. Say that uh, the Mets were ahead 4-1 to one of the Braves uh, earlier this evening. These shirts are pitching for the Mets. He's just been knocked out of the box. It's now Atlanta 5-4 as they just scored their fifth run as we're talking right now. And uh, talking about uh, hitting a wall, how are those Orioles <laughs> doing? I know you follow that by the minute. Uh, God dang. They're, they, I mean, they're just – it's frustrating for me, um, you know, to watch them really, really struggle offensively. Um, the catalyst of their team is Cedric Mullins, and obviously he's hurt, but they just – they're mired in a little bit of an offensive slump, um, which, you know, that's a ripple effect. You, you, you throw a rock into a, a body of water and you get a splash, but you also get the ripples. So um, them not scoring runs and being uh, proficient offensively, you know, that, that puts pressure on their pitching staff. That puts pressure on their bullpen. That puts pressure on their whole entire team. And, you know, they're, you've got a lot of guys on this team. You've got, uh, Brian Mountcastle hitting 230, Cedric uh, or uh, Mateo hitting 220. Uh, you've got all these. Gunnar Henderson's hitting 200. You've got all these guys that are just not putting the ball in play. I mean, they, the other night they had 12 strikeouts for God's sake. I mean, that's ridiculous, and it's just very frustrating for me. And they've they've seen some good pitching. I get that. Corbin Burns for the for the Brewers tonight is a is a Cy Young guy. I mean, they they they've seen some of these guys in on the road trip, but it's. it's you know, they, they're scoring between zero and four runs a game, and that just doesn't translate into wins right now. But at the end of the day, it's a 162-game season, and 
you know, we'll, we'll see what comes out in the wash. Um, I think the big question mark for me is what they do at the trade deadline, you know, in terms of them being healthy. I mean, they have the missing pieces, um, you know, on their team in terms of they're probably one arm short in their bullpen. They're probably one arm short in their starting rotation, whether that's John Means or Grayson Rodriguez. And I think they're probably a veteran bat, you know, away. Or even, I, I hate to say it, but I'd like to see some of these guys at the minor league level. I'd like to see Jordan Westberg. I'd like to see Colton Kowser. I'd like to, you know, see some of these guys actually get their chance to uh, contribute. And, and we'll see. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a game of streaks. And uh, right now they're in a bad streak. Roger? Yeah, I, just getting back to uh, golf for a minute. Uh, I may be, you know, way off base, but is it possible that in the future a lot of these uh, PGA uh, members that you know the, that are playing, that are golfing in tournaments, that somebody could come in and start an entire new organization? I mean, so you that, that's you, back you think that's possible? Well, I mean, that's how the that's how the PGA Tour was formed. I mean, you have to consider, you know, what you said about the Congress, and you have to think about, unfortunately, you have to think about monopolies and all these, you know, different but concepts Doug, as it Doug, relates to. the toughest to. part about that is you have television contracts. You have sponsors. I mean, there's, even the PGA Tour in certain areas is having difficulty maintaining sponsors, even today as popular as the game is, just to try to start a new uh, well, look what Liv did. I mean, who, I don't think anybody watches them on TV. They were on, but I don't know anybody who watched it. Yeah, but the the Live tour didn't go mainstream because, you know, the guy that was in charge that had all the money said, I don't really care about what that reflects upon TV contracts and those sorts of things. You see, most people that would start a tour would start with TV contracts and sponsors because they wouldn't have enough money. This guy had enough money and didn't care about that, right? Yeah, so, yeah right he there. didn't care if anybody showed up at the, no, at the tournament. No, he didn't right? care. He did, he did his own thing because he had billions of dollars. You know, if you want to start something, you have to start with either A, a bankroll, or B, I need to find that bankroll. If I need to find that bankroll... I need to go find people that are going to pay it to me. He didn't need mm-hmm. that. Right? right. So that that's different. You know, could could you see I mean look, you you have the, you have the NFL, you have the XFL, you have the USFL, you have all these concepts, you have the Canadian Football League, you have indoor, you have all these different things, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, the NFL isn't a monopoly. They they can't control you know, everything because you have these other concepts. I mean, they're not as good. We know that. But at the end of the day, you know, people they, – they have people that go to USFL games. They have people that go to, to XFL games. You know, I mean, they, they've well, targeted the right markets, you know, in those we gotta we got to leave it right there. We're out of time. Doug, we'll pick it up again next week. Appreciate it, Doug. Have a great week. It's I really appreciate uh, your, it's, your it's insight about the way the you, you uh, laid it all out for us tonight. I thought that was very, very good. That all right, let's get it back to our commander-in-chief, Frank Carroll. He'll close out the program. Thanks to all week. our guests. We really enjoyed the show tonight, not only doing it, but listening to some of these guys along the way. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs have been brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and police and fire services, the doctors and nurses at the hospital with COVID, and especially the first responders. 
And when you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. These programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David, excuse me, Jeffrey Colcat. Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwood, Sergeant Thomas Bainter, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego, Sir Mike Henner, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Connor, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, <coughs> Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levesque, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Arnolfo Christian, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerbin, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Debbie Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Office and Tampa University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, today you may be 10 7 at this time. At some time, we'll be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds yield at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord meet, keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night. Good bless and have a great week.